is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Oh, I believe we can do better than that. I think we ought to shout unto him. Shout unto him like you've never done before. Oh, Jesus. You are strong and mighty, Lord. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I feel like telling somebody in this building today, I don't know what you may have come here fighting or struggling with, what the dilemma may be, what the addiction may be, what the crisis may be, but I've come today to give you good news that it's not greater and it's not bigger than the power of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I feel the authority of the Word of God in this house. I feel the power of the presence of God. As you were singing, as the musicians were playing, there was such a sweet holy unction of the Holy Ghost in this house. I feel like God's wanting to tell us collectively and individually, greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I turn your attention to 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 7. While you're turning, let me reiterate what you heard in the announcements about the work nights this week for our men and uh, ladies, whoever can come and help. We're trying to finish off this parking lot, and uh, we're going to be coming around now. Some of you have seen all the uh, crushed asphalt that's been added to the back of the Life Center. We're now coming around on the south side of the Life Center. You can see they put in a new sidewalk, and we're going to be bringing in uh, crushed asphalt this week and uh, putting it there in front of the Life Center. We're also going to be doing a lot of landscaping, and uh, this is going to be an awesome addition as we're able to add 100 parking spots to our, our present campus. So we're excited about that. Amen. God is good. Amen. And so we're delighted that God is helping us. And if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, we would, uh, we would uh, certainly enjoy having your assistance. First Samuel chapter 12 and verse 7, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. David was the king, and Nathan was the prophet. It's an important time whenever leaders of government listen to spiritual leaders. Here is an example of Nathan saying to David, religious authority, or we don't want to use the word religious, spiritual authority, speaking directly to the monarch, civil authority. And not just speaking, but rebuking. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I pray that we never lose a time in our life when the Lord can't speak into our spirits and our hearts through the authority of the word of God and the man of God. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. And I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom. And gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would, moreover, had given unto thee such and such things. See, David was the king. He was highly blessed and favored of God. David had made a mistake. He got off track, took something that didn't belong to him, committed adultery, committed murder. And now he's being confronted by the prophet Nathan and being told a parable, a story, a story of a rich man who had a traveler come. And he, instead of taking one of his own flock and slaying it for the dinner, he reached over into his neighbor's yard where a little poor man lived with one little ewe lamb, one little lamb that was like a pet that hung out in the house. Sent his servants over there and took that lamb and, and slew that lamb and gave it to his company that had come. And when Nathan told the story to David, David said, tell me who it is and we'll deal with him. Nathan, that little old prophet, shook his bony finger at that king, the most powerful man in the nation at that time and said, thou art the man. God has given you everything, but you took something that did not belong to you. 
I can't get over this last part, this phrase that says, if that had been too little, all that God had done for you, if it would not have been enough, I would moreover had given unto thee such and such things. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, the God of such and such. The God of such and such. Would you bow your heads and pray? Lord, what a privilege it is to stand in your presence. What an honor it is, Lord. You've allowed us to come into the throne room of grace. We feel your spirit and your blessing, and we know that you're here. I pray that you would open hearts and minds to receive your word. Anoint us, Lord, to speak your word without fear or favor. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. This morning, we want to introduce to you our new life groups that are going to be starting for the fall term on Wednesday nights. Our classes are going to go throughout the month of August and then throughout the month of September. And the subject uh, matter is navigating your finances God's way. Now, this is a study for everyone, single or married, young or old, whether you earn a lot or a little. The reason that we're calling it navigating your finances God's way is because the way that we handle our money is oftentimes much different than God's financial principles that are given to us through the Word of God. In fact, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts, referring to the Lord's thoughts, are not your thoughts, referring to us. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The most significant difference between the two, that is our way and God's way, is that the Bible reveals that God is closely involved with our finances. Sometimes you may not see that because God is operating in an unseen supernatural realm. But if you don't see it and you don't recognize it or maybe you just dismiss it as faith, then it's hard to really appreciate it. For David, though the prophet Nathan had confronted him for his sin, there was something else that I believe that Nathan was trying to speak directly to David about. And in so doing, he revealed some things that were obvious that God had done. He started out with those things that were obvious. The first thing that the prophet Nathan said to David was, He hath anointed thee to be king over Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, the first thing that we recognize through the prophet Nathan speaking directly to King David is that God had given David his position. He was not king because of his own merit. He wasn't king because of his own intellect or because of his own charisma. He was in that position because of a good God that had showed him great favor. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are not any different than David. Though we may not be the king or the monarch of a country, we have been given a favorable position. You say, well, I don't feel very favorable. If you live in the United States of America, you are in a favorable position. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says, but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people. You say, I don't want to be peculiar. Do you know what that word peculiar means? That means that you are set apart, that you're not like anybody else or everybody else, but that God has chosen you for such a time as this. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that God, hallelujah, has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And set us in a position, a royal position. You say, Pastor, how are we in a royal position? I'm trying to pay my bills. How am I in a royalty position? Well, think about it. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, yea, they become the sons of God. How many of you have ever received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Would you raise your hand? Look at all of that. Look around. All, keep your hand up. Those of you that don't have your hand up, look around. You're sitting among royalty tonight, today. Look at all of the kings and priests that you're surrounded with. You say, how can that be? Because if you've got the Spirit of God, hallelujah, you are an heir of God. Now, I don't know if you've checked lately, but more, 
more wealthy than all of the sheiks in Saudi Arabia, more wealthy than all of the oil barons, more wealthy than all the Wall Street tycoons, is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, hallelujah, and we are his heirs. The next time somebody doesn't treat you very good in a restaurant, don't treat you very good at a stoplight, or doesn't treat you very good at a homeowner's association, you need to tell them, do you know who I am? <laughs> I am royalty. <laughs> you say, how that? I am a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He had set me in a high place. And they may say to you, well, I don't think you're royal. You don't look like royal to me. And you have to respond by saying this. You don't know where I came from. Oh, hallelujah. I used to be a slave to sin. But the God, hallelujah, that breathed into you and me, the breath of life, has breathed upon me again the second time and filled me with his spirit. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. But we should never forget that that position comes from the Lord. The second thing that the Nathan said to David was that God had delivered David from the hand of Saul. Now, not only had God given David position, but he had also given him protection. Oh, hallelujah. He hath delivered thee from the hand of Saul. Now, Saul, of course, was the former king, and Saul was jealous because the anointing was upon David, and he tried to destroy David and David had to run for years and hide in caves but God protected him and delivered him from the hand of Saul I know for a fact in my own life that the Lord has helped me and my family from illnesses from diseases from accidents from situations that would have cost an inordinate amount of money if not total loss but God has kept us how many of you can raise your hand today and say, God has kept you and protected you? You were in the midst of a crisis and you didn't know what to do, but all you did was call upon the name of Jesus. My good friend, uh, Glenn uh, Grinley, who's him and his family have been with us a few times, lives up in North Georgia. He's been with me on several trips overseas, and he went with us to Israel, and he came back and had pneumonia. He was on the plane with pneumonia, couldn't hardly breathe. We landed in JFK in New York City, and everybody had to sit still until Glenn get off. He's a, he's a big, strong guy, construction guy, roof and all that. We had to bring him out. He had pneumonia. He couldn't hardly breathe. He was hurting so bad. We got him out and got him all situated, got him taken care of, and then after that, it seemed like he was going to be okay, and he recovered. It took him several weeks, and then after that, he went in the fall of last year with me to Zambia, and uh, we got over there in the hotel in Zambia. We found out that there's a big outbreak of malaria in Zambia. And there was a mosquito flying around the room at night. And we were chasing it with our shoes, trying to kill that crazy thing. He was on malaria pre prevention tablets. I was on malaria prevention tablets. We were on the same tablet, only my doctor had told me you only have to take it once a week. His doctor had told him you got to take it every day. So we went and we looked online and we said, what is it, every day or, or, or once a week? We went online, we looked it up, and that kind of, I think it was malarone, that kind of, of, of uh, malaria prevention drug has to be taken every day. I was on the wrong prescription. <laughs> I came back and yelled at my doctor and yelled at Walgreens, and they all blamed each other. But I was on the right, he was diligent. He was taking it every day just like he was supposed to. And I said, well, I'm going to be the one that's going to get the malaria then. And I chased that mosquito around, and I killed it, and I finally killed it, and we turned all the lights, went to bed. And I wasn't laying there five minutes. And zzz, here comes another one. I turned all the lights back on, ran around, and killed it. He said, what are you doing now? I said, I'm trying to kill. My luck, it'll be that one mosquito. Well, we come back from, we come back from Africa. And God was good to me and kept me. And I didn't get malaria. But Glenn got malaria. He come back, had malaria, and he was knocked out for another four weeks. And then, earlier this year, Glenn went with us and some of the other men. And we all went down to the Amazon. And uh, we went down to the Amazon, and this time we got Zika, the other mosquito virus to worry about. And so we all go down there, and, and Glenn brings this hammock that's got a full, remember, Monty, you, I think you slept one of these, it was a full hammock, because I told him, you're going to sleep out there in the, in the, in the Amazon, in, in, in the jungle, 
and all you got is a hammock. So he, Glenn brought his own hammock with a big, like a two-bedroom condo hammock. It was, <laughs> went up like this and went that way and you could lay sideways on it and everything screened and zipped it all up and he was all prepared and had it rolled and wrapped and all that. And so they went out there and they slept out there on the river and, and Glenn had his big two-bedroom condo hammock and everything looked like it was good and fine and and they all had a great time and went fishing and so forth. And everybody came back home. We had about 10 or 12 guys from our church that went. We all came back home. None of us had a big two-bedroom condo hammock. We were just out there exposed to everything. As far as I know, none of our guys got sick. We all were fine. Glenn gets Zika. I said, you're not traveling with me anymore. You got too much stuff going on. He said, I know when it happened, David. I know that one mosquito, I was out there in the jungle. He got through my net, and he got a hold of me. I said, you got to get full of the Holy Ghost, Glenn, because if you get the Holy Ghost, you'll get a better immune system. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, God protected you when you weren't even aware of it. God kept you, and you didn't even know it. Well, I'm going to tell you what, I was... I was out there sleeping one time in that hammock in the Amazon. I was with Brother Demerchant. This is about eight, nine years ago now. And we went out there and slept, and I was so tired. I was exhausted. I'd flown here and there and down to San Paulo and back in New York. I'd flown all. Finally, I got to the Amazon. As soon as I got there from the airport, Brother Demerchant picked me up and took me straight to the river, Amazon River, and dropped me off with all my stuff. I'm half awake. He says, I got to go get the plane, come over here and land because it's too shallow. We won't be able to, where I take off, you know, there's not enough room, not enough water. We're in a drought, blah, blah, blah. So I'll come over here and pick you up where the river's wide. So he, came and picked me up, and a little boat took me out there, and we all loaded up, and we went out there. So we landed in this little fish camp, this little floating thing you've got out there in the middle of the jungle, and we went out there. And so, you know, it's getting dark. I'm like, you know, shouldn't we head back to town? He's like, no, this is where we sleep. I'm like, where are we going to sleep? There's nothing. There's just like a logs, and, you know, it's like a platform. And uh, where we, and then he rolls out, and he says, these are the beds we sleep on. These are biblical beds. I said, biblical beds? He said, yeah. And he rolls out these hammocks. He said, these are the kind of beds they had in the Bible. I said, hey, no. He said, because when God healed somebody, he'd say, take up your bed and walk. And so these days, you just roll them up and just walk with it, you know. These are biblical beds. I said, oh, God, help us. So he puts the hammock up. So I lay on the hammock. I'm trying to go to sleep. And all I see is bats. There's like 500 bats flying over my head. And I'm like, oh, no. With this big nose I got, one of them's going to land on my face. And it's going to suck all the blood out of my head. It's going to be horrible. And so... I'm so exhausted from all this flying, all this, I'm, just, I'm too tired to worry about it. So I roll over on my stomach, and I go to sleep diagonally on this hammock, and I go to sleep, and when I go to sleep, I forget about the bats. The next morning, we're getting our little canoe, and we're out there fishing, we're catching peacock bass, and we're just having a big, big time, we're sweating, catching fish, sweating on catching fish. All of a sudden, I realize something's wrong with my elbow, and I look at my elbow, and it's got something that's kind of like a boil that's growing up on it. And I said, something happened to my elbow. And he said, let me look at it. And Brother DeMerchant looked at it and he said, you got bit by a vampire bat last night. I said, say what? <laughs> he said, oh man, those little bats, he said, they'll land on you like that. And they got them little, that thing, that, that little, they insert in their tongue and they can decoagulate your blood so it flows easy. And he said, it's like a little needle that puts it in there and you'll see, you'll not even know they are on you. And he said, boy, they'll suck your blood. There's no telling how much blood that thing took out of you last night. I'm like, don't those things have rabies? He said, most of them have rabies. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Rabies? He's like, ah, you'll be all right. We kept on fishing. I said, I don't know about this. I've got to have this looked at when I get home. I said, when I get back and you hear that we're having all of our services at midnight and I'm preaching on the blood all the time, <laughs> you're going to know something's wrong. He's like, ah, you'll be fine. You got the Holy Ghost. You don't need anything else. So I guess I'm all right. It's been eight or nine years. I haven't grown fangs or anything. You can tell stories of how God has protected you. I remember when Sophia was just a little bitty girl. She was only a few months, maybe maybe nine months old. And my wife had her in the, in the, in the car and she was trying to... Uh, take her out in the groceries and get everything situated and somehow the, the the door locked with the keys in the car and she went there and opened it and it was like in the summertime I was up in Melbourne having lunch with my parents and she calls me in a panic she's like honey 
Sophia's locked in the car, and the keys are in there, and I'm in the car, and, da, 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 and what am I going to do? And I'm like, I had the other key on me, but I'm in Melbourne. And I'm like, well, break a window or something. She's not going to survive in there. It's too hot. And uh, I said, if you call 911, and she's like, I'm going to call 911. I'm going to try to break a window. No. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to you as quick as I can. So I, I, I literally ran out of the restaurant, went and got in my car, and I'm going like, a, this is not a lie. I'm going 100 miles an hour down US 1. I said, if a cop stops me, he's going to have to just chase me till he can catch me. <laughs> I go 100 miles an hour. Wow, I'm flying down US 1. I'm thinking, God help us. My little baby girl is going to be killed before I could even get to enjoy this young new life. And she's in a car and it's hot. And we can't get to the car. And, and my wife's calling me. And I'm like, what happened? She's like, I called the fire department. The fire department's on their way over here. They told me not to break the glass because the glass will shatter. It'll hurt the baby. They're going to be here just. And I'm like, how long? We don't know. The fire department, they're not going to get there quick enough. I'm coming down Mount. <laughs> I'm flying down Malabar. I'm trying to get there as quick as I can. And before I can get through this intersection, she calls me back and she said, Sophia's fine. They came in and they hit a, they had a Slim Jim thing. They opened it up. The baby's fine. There's no problems. And she was crying. Everything's great and everything. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm telling you what, from the intersection of Malabar and Babcock all the way out in Bayside Lakes where I live, I was saying, God, you're a good God. You're a mighty God. You protect us. How many of you can raise your hand and say, God has protected me. He delivered you out of the hand of Saul. He delivered you from a crisis. He delivered you from a problem. You didn't know your way out, but God was good to you. Oh, my goodness. And then he said this, I, I give thee thy master's house. I gave thee thy master's house. That was possessions. It would probably surprise you to learn how much the Bible has to say about our finances. Do you know more than 2,350 verses address God's way of handling money and possessions? 15% of everything that Jesus had to say had to do with money. You say, well, what all did he, we're going to get into this on Wednesday nights. What all is that he had to say? He, he talked so much about how to view it and how to handle it and, and what we should do. Now, why did Jesus do this? Was Jesus looking for money? Absolutely not. His life defines that he didn't care about that. But he made a major point in teaching about these principles, I believe, for a couple of reasons. Number one is how we handle money impacts our fellowship and our relationship with the Lord. We may think that we can separate our spiritual lives from our financial life and our spiritual life into two different compartments. But ladies and gentlemen, you can't do that according to Scripture. Here's what Luke 16, 11 says. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that is worldly wealth, who will commit to your trust the true riches, which is spiritual wealth? In other words, if God can't trust you with worldly wealth, how is he going to trust you with spiritual wealth? Now, I don't know about you, but if you're not wealthy, spiritually, you are missing out on what God is wanting to do in your life. It's not the riches of this world that's going to bring happiness. But ladies and gentlemen, true riches is spiritual riches. And that's what God is trying to give to every one of us. It is a simple fact that how we handle our finances, according to the principles of Scripture, that determines how our relationship with Christ will go. The parable of the talents makes this clear as the master congratulates the servant who managed his money faithfully. Matthew 25, 21 says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, that joy of the Lord is spiritual wealth. And he says, because you've been faithful over those small things, that that I put into your possession, I'm going to now bless you with many things, and you're going to enter into the joy of the Lord. We enter into that joy of the Lord, or that more intimate relationship with the Lord, when we handle our money, our possessions, our finances, our gain. When we handle it according to biblical principles. And we're going to learn more about this as we go forward with this series on Wednesday nights. But another reason that Jesus, I believe, talks so much about these principles and the reason the Bible speaks so often about these principles is because money and possessions compete with God for first place in our lives. Now, all you've got to do, ladies and gentlemen, is all you've got to do is look around the culture that you and I are a part of and you can see what their God is. 
Their God is money, is it not? That's what everybody is clamoring for. That's the God. So Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will ha hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. In other words, you cannot serve God and mammon, which is a biblical term for money. You can't serve both of them. We can use money as a tool, and we try to do that, but we cannot serve and love the Lord God. You can't do both. So he said to David, I have given thee, I have given thee your master's houses. I have blessed you financially. That's what he told him. Now, that means he's given him possessions. He's not only given him position, he's not only given him protection, but he also gave him possession. You and I need to take inventory once in a while and say, God, everything that I have, the car that you have, though it may be on its last bang, bang, knock, knock cylinder, you ought to say, God, I thank you that it made it to the house of God today. <laughs> the house that you live in, the clothes that are on your back, hallelujah. If you were able to take a shower today and you shampoo and soap, you ought to say, God, I thank you that you have blessed me because everything I have, everything I possess is from you. Now, the next thing that he told David was, he said, I've given you your master's wives. Now, this may be a little more difficult to understand. I have given thee your master's wives. This was purpose. Why? Because that meant children. That was the reproduction and the perpetuation of his seed, meaning legacy. I have got something for you that will give you the ability to have purpose in your life. Something that will outlive your own life. Something that will give you purpose and meaning. If you have one child, ladies and gentlemen, it is a gift from God. If you have two, you have been double blessed. If you have three, you are highly favored. If you have four, God considers you blessed beyond measure. If you have five, you are insane. He said, I have given you the house of Judea in Israel. Guess what that is? That's power. How many of you know God is a powerful God? When he said to David, I've given you the house of Judea in Israel, David's kingdom was the most powerful kingdom in the earth on that day. Why? Because it was a unified kingdom. God did that. They weren't fighting each other like they had for years. Judea, Judea and Israel, they were now unified together. And the house of Judah and the house of Israel had come together and had been unified under David. And this made the kingdom so strong. And here's what David had to learn. And that is what you and I need to learn. And that is that everything belongs to the Lord. Our pocketbook, our paycheck, our gain, our loss, our victories, our defeats. It all belongs to the Lord. And then the Lord said, David... I have given you all of this. But if it had been too little, this is what I love about God because he loves his people so much. I've given you all the things that you can see with your natural eye and identify. But if that's not enough, this is what an amazing God you serve. David, if what has been given to you which I would venture to say was more so than anybody else had on the earth at that time. But even that, if it had not been enough, God was willing to do more. Have you ever had your children come up to you and say, Mom or Dad, I need a dollar to go get cold drink. And you say, okay, you give them a dollar. And then you think, well, wait a second. What if it ends up being a dollar seven? or a dollar six or a dollar ten tax or whatever and they'll not be able to purchase it because they only have a dollar so you say here and you give them two dollars any of you ever done that before yeah because you know why you don't want them to come back empty-handed you don't want them to go and be disappointed so though it may not take the whole two dollars they may be able to get it for a dollar but just in case <laughs> This is the God of such and such. 
just in case everything that you can see everything that's around you that God has given you he's saying just in case if that's not enough what a mighty good God we serve I would have given you such and such he says to David, if that's too little, if position is too little, if protection is too little, if possessions are too little, if purpose is too little, if power is too little, if that's not enough, I would have given you such and such. Now, I wanted to know what such and such was. So I did a search in the Word of God on the word such. Not a good word to pick to, to examine in the Scripture. Because... The computer programs brought up the term such and said it's mentioned, I think, 364 times. So, you know, since the computer couldn't produce the result, I went back to prayer. God, computer doesn't know what such and such is. There's too many of them. So you're going to have to tell me straight from heaven, what is such and such? God says, I'm not telling you. So I went back to the Lord again, because I know the Bible says that he honors persistence. So I went back to the Lord again. I said, now, Lord, I'm titling the message, the, the God of such and such. It's really, really important. As the pastor of First Pentecostal Church, as your voice piece on Sunday morning, You've got to tell me what the such and such was. He says, it's not for you to know. And I pleaded with the Lord some more, and in my spirit, it's not like we were having a phone conversation, but in my spirit, I felt like that the Lord was telling me, it's not named for a reason. It's all of the stuff you don't know about. And then the light started to go off. Everything that's happened in an invisible, supernatural world. That the Lord says, maybe they don't need that, but because I love them, here's some such and such. You don't even know it. You don't even know what God, you had no idea, but the Lord just said, because I love you, you probably don't have to have this. You still got an abundant life, but God said, because I love you, I'm going to give you a little extra. It's going to be pressed down, shaken together, and run it over because he's the God of such and such. So what is that such and such? It's all the victories that are yet unfulfilled. It's all the miracles that are still trapped in potential. It's not that I need them to be happy. It's just that a loving God wants to make sure that you've got more than enough. I love that song. My God is more than enough. You remember that song? He will supply all my needs. He is the El Shaddai. He always looks after me. Jehovah Jireh, which means he's your provider. He is my God. All the earth is his and the fullness thereof. He's everything that I need, you can be sure of. So why should I worry about the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs? By my faith I know my God is more than enough. I don't know about you, but I discovered that God's not only given me everything that I can see, but he's also working in an invisible world. He's more than enough. I discovered the other day that there's an app. There's an app for my iPhone that I could download that's called My GMC. I don't know if you got a GMC or not. If you got a Ford, they probably got a My Ford app as well. So, because I got this GMC that my wife drives, I said I'm going to download it. So I downloaded this app, and I paired it with the car and did all this stuff you know you got to do. 
And then I pulled up the app, and it'll run diagnostics on my car. It tells me how much air is in every one of my tires. Tells me I need an oil change and all that. I thought, that's pretty cool. Then it has this thing called remote commands, key fob. I said, that sounds pretty cool. So I hit on that thing. And I looked at this thing, and it has all of these commands that I can give my car that's sitting out there in the parking lot. And one of the keys, and I'm going to hit it right now, I'm going to unlock my door from standing right here with this iPhone. Now, I don't really need this because we've got the fob that'll do it. But I saw it and I wanted it. And it's just cool to be able to do. So, Brother Eddie, you go out there and stand by that black card and tell me. I'm opening the doors right now. Opening, opening, opening. Circling, it's circling. The green check came up. It just opened the door. Now, here's what happened in just that split second. This device sent a command to a big piece of hardware in the sky called a satellite. And it gave a command to the satellite and told the satellite where to go and what to do. And the satellite sent a command down to that car and said, unlock the door. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as cool as that is, guess what? God had that long before GMC had it. You can be in the house of God, and you can send a command up to heaven through your prayers, and heaven sends a signal and says, unlock the door. That's my child. That's their blessing. I'm going to honor them. He can unlock the door of everything that has been shut off in your life. Was it unlocked? All right, I'm going to lock it back because I don't trust some of you folks right here. <laughs> Locking it back. Just a moment, it's going to say locked, Brother Eddie. We're waiting. It's locking, it's locking. This is how God works, too. He can lock down stuff, too, that you think are open. I ain't going to pay my tithes anymore because the church got plenty of money. They paid off the church. I don't have to do that. And you get stingy with God, and God hits the lock button. Y'all don't shout so much on that one, do you? Now, that unlocking stuff looks cool. I don't think God would lock stuff down, would he? Just read your Bible. Be here on Wednesday nights. All right, Brother Eddie. He went out there to check and make sure it's locked. He don't know what I'm fixing to hit next. I can start the engine from right here. Are you ready? Gentlemen, start your engines. It is starting right now. It says that the engine is in progress. You say, why are you doing that? Because the air conditioning can be blowing and can be cooled before I get in there. You say, well, what does that mean? You can come up against something, and you can push it and shove it. Brother Eddie, is it started? Huh? <laughs> there it goes down the highway. <laughs> That's what it's going to be doing before long. You know, they're going to drive themselves. They're already doing it. It's running? That means from this command, I sent a command up in the air. The satellite sent a, a command to the car. And so there, you're sitting there like you're dead. I'm telling you to start your engine. And that engine says, yes, sir. Run! I don't know how it all works, but I know years before that, God had a similar command. He told the disciples, if you have faith as a grain of the mustard seed, just speak to the mountain. Just speak to the mountain. Stand to your feet. When you read in Matthew chapter uh, 17, disciples prayed and nothing happened 
prayed for a miracle, nothing happened. The Lord prayed and something happened. The engine started, if I can use that analogy. He said, why? Why, Lord? Disciples questioned the Lord. Why did you do it? And it worked, and there was a miracle. And when I did it, nothing happened. Why? He gave them this explanation. I think it's verse 20, Matthew 17. If you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can speak to the mountain. Not kick it. Not, you know, get up to it and try to shove it with your own weight and your own strength. But he said, just speak to the mountain. And the Bible says that he told his disciples, it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible. Ladies and gentlemen, if a satellite can do that, don't you think the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? He said, I've been trying, I've been doing it on my own. I've been trying to make it work. Why don't you send that request up toward heaven and let God do it? Because all that has to happen is a word of faith has to be spoken. And the Bible says in Matthew 17, 20, when he was instructing his disciples, he said this. He said, the mountain will be removed. You say, what's the mountain? Any obstacle, anything that you're fighting, you're struggling with, some circumstance or situation hadn't turned out like you thought. And you just feel like you're just butting your head against it. If I could just speak through the voice of faith and say, be thou removed. The Bible says that Jesus told his disciples, it shall remove not it may, not the odds are good, it shall, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Turn to your neighbor and point at him and say, that means you. It doesn't say Peter or Paul or Andrew, James, unto you, nothing shall be impossible. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel faith in this house. I don't know what situation you may be struggling with, but I've come to tell you that if you can speak the word of faith, it sends a command to heaven. And heaven sends the command to the problem or the situation. It's time for you to come alive. That thing that would not move, that was dead, now all of a sudden starts up. Because he is a mighty God. He is the great I am. I close with this this morning. During the crusades of the 12th century, Crusaders hired mercenaries to fight for them, but because it was a religious war, the mercenaries were baptized before fighting. But before going under the water, history records that these mercenaries, these fighting machines, men that are hired for their fighting ability, that when they baptized all of these mercenaries, they baptized them in the water before going into battle. History records that all those soldiers, as they were being baptized, they would raise their swords up, and as they went under the water, they would hold up their sword so that it didn't go under the water. And they wanted that to symbolize that Jesus Christ was not in control of their weapons. They wanted to use those weapons in any way that they wished. You can baptize me, but don't baptize this sword because I'm going to use this sword to chop off heads and kill people. And they all were baptized, but when they went under, they held their swords up. They wouldn't allow that to go under the water. I think sometimes there are situations that though we're saved, though we've been baptized, there's things that we hang on to that we say, God, I can handle this. Lord, I appreciate you saving me, but I don't want my wallet or my pocketbook to get baptized. I'm going to keep this on the side. This is my domain. I'm going to keep that out of the water. God, you may be the Lord of my entire life, but not in the area of money. No, we can handle that ourselves. And so we go under the water, but we hold up whatever that situation is, our finances, 
we hold up that issue that we've had, something that stemmed from our past when we were hurt, some crisis, some addiction. We went under the water, but we held that one thing up out of the water. And we say, God, I'm going to have to fight this on my own. Here's what I believe the Lord is telling us today. Whether it's a sickness, whether it's a crisis, whether it's a financial, a marriage problem, whatever the situation may be, I believe that God's wanting you to take that and put that under the water and under the blood also. Everything. 100%. Say, Pastor, I'm dealing with this thing and I've just been suffering in silence with it. You know what you've done? You've held it up out of the water. But I'm going to tell you about a God who doesn't just save your soul. He's the complete package. He'll give you the best life here on this earth and then give you eternal life. He will bless you in ways that you don't even see because he's the God of such and such. That everything, everything, every single thing, whatever it is, I wonder if you would put it under the blood right now in the name of Jesus. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful congregation of people. Gotten up this morning, it had been easier to stay in bed, but they got dressed, they came to your house because they love you. They love your name. You have blessed us, Lord. You have highly favored us by us being in your presence and feeling your spirit. Now, God, you know the frailty of our flesh. You know everything that we battle and struggle with. You know those things that we've held out of the water, those things that we've held close to our chest. And Lord, I feel you telling us, turn it over to me. Give it over to me. I ask you, God, that you would give your people courage today to put everything, everything under the blood and to give it over to you. Lord, if it's a sickness in their body, if it's a financial miracle, all the things that you gave your servant David were not just exclusive for David. Lord, you're still blessing your people in so many ways. We can't measure it all. We can't identify it all. It's just more of the same. And for that, God, we say thank you. But today we make a commitment that we will put everything, everything under the blood in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. amen. Whatever the situation may be, but you feel like there's something that you need to put under the blood, I wonder if you would take that with you right now. Would you step out from where you're standing, come to this altar. Let that be symbolic of you turning every single situation over to the Lord. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I feel like just reiterating this as you're coming. This is beautiful. People are coming from all over. Just come on. You're welcome. There's room. You don't have to be a member. This is your first time here. This altar is open to you. But I'm going to tell you, this is what I feel like the Lord has been saying from the very beginning of this service. Our God is more powerful than any situation in your life. Some of you may be facing something that seems so insurmountable. It's caused you to maybe even question whether or not God could do the miracle. You know what? God wants to show you today that he's more than enough. That he's got all power and all authority. Come on, put the crisis. Put it under the water. Put everything under the blood today. People are coming from all over. Just keep coming. We're going to come down here. We're going to pray a collective prayer. And as we do, I want you to pray individually. And I want you to say, Lord, I give everything over to you. Would you lift your hands right now? Would you lift your voices? Lord, I commit everything into your hands right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. God, I've tried to solve it on my own. I've tried to find a solution on my own, God. But I recognize that you're the giver of every good gift. That's it. Lift your voice right now in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. I give it to you, Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord. I give it to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, Lord. I bless you, Jesus. That's it, give it to Jesus.
name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's it, that's it. In the name of Jesus. 